0: invite you to take your copy of God's Word and find Acts chapter 6. Tonight we'll be in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable or useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But one of the strategic chapters in all of the Bible is Acts chapter 6. Or in Acts chapter 6, we learn of the very first deacons, they're not called deacons, but most New Testament scholars recognize that what we find here in the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6 is the institution of the uh, church office of the deacon. I want to talk to you tonight about the work of the deacon. This is a text familiar to all of you who've been here at any time, any length of time, but for some of you who are new, this may be unfamiliar to you and I am persuaded that it needs to be dealt with again and again, and so we do so tonight. Now, we do so tonight because last uh, December, when we uh, nominated deacons for election, you chose and elected Darren Olson uh, as our deacon, and he's been serving faithfully since January 1, and so this is a very important life, a night in your life, Darren, and uh, Kara and Tate and Harper, Uh, You are blessed to have a godly husband and father, and uh, some of uh, Darren's family are here tonight. His his brother, Jeff, is a pastor in Florida where our Carpenters for Christ have been on mission, and he showed me on his phone Uh, the finished work there, and we just got it too late to put it on the screen, so find Jeff at the fellowship tonight when we welcome the pains and uh, let him show that to you. the deacon nomination process and election at Lakeview is 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 uh, it's a, it's a very uh, involved process that includes uh, prayer on the part of uh, all of us, and it includes uh, a detailed multi-page questionnaire, an interview with the prospective deacons, uh, with the deacon nomination committee, which is composed of the chairman of deacons, the vice chairman of deacons, the pastor, and one other deacon chosen by the chairman of deacons, and um, Darren, you were recommended and nominated because of your churchmanship and your godly character. We read in 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications for deacon service, I'm going to deal with those tonight. but you can be sure we dealt with those back last fall when we were interviewing Darren Olson. And so here we are tonight, I want to just remind all of us about this work of the deacon, and then we're going to lay hands on Darren and uh, welcome Brian and Heather Payne and their children. The New Testament uh, identifies two officers in the life of a New Testament church. They are pastors and deacons. You may have a a version that says elder or overseer or bishop, depending on your translation. All of those terms are interchangeable for the office of pastor. We find the qualifications for pastors in the first part of 1 Timothy 3 and for deacons in the verses following uh, the the verses identifying qualifications for pastors in 1st Timothy 3 we find these two offices identified for us in Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 most of you are aware that at Lakeview we have 10 pastors and 12 deacons i want to vouch for all of these men they're all men of god and uh, You know, I just made a mistake, we now have 11 pastors. Brian, I I just sort of threw you out of the loop there, but I've said 10 for so long. Old habits are hard to break, but we'll be back to 10 come November. And uh, all of our pastors and all of our deacons are godly men. You don't need to be anxious about that. None of us are sinless, but these men are blameless and above reproach and may I say as the pastor what a privilege it is for me to serve alongside my fellow pastors and the deacons in our church I know of no church that has a a finer staff, pastoral staff and deacons than does Lakeview. Now I want to just uh, uh, tell you that A pastor is a servant leader, and a deacon is a leading servant. Would you make that distinction in your your mind? A pastor is a servant leader, and a deacon is a leading servant. And in the great plan of God for His church, God created those two offices for His church to function at maximum effectiveness. The first account of the deacons is given to us in Acts chapter 6. With our Bibles open to that chapter, I invite you uh, to follow along. Verse 1, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of the food. And so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said... It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to lay, some of us, five of us are going to lay our hands on Darren Olson and pray for him. Verse 7, and so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So as we think tonight about the work of the deacon, I want you to think with me from this text about two axioms that identify for us the work or the ministry of the deacon in the life of a New Testament church. The first axiom is this, The deacon serves the church by guarding the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, there is an element in Southern Baptist life that says a deacon is a, quote, table waiter, close quote. And they base that on a reading of this text of scripture, which is we just read deacons in the church in Jerusalem were chosen by the congregation uh, to take care of the needs of the widows. That's certainly a legitimate need and certainly deacons are not above or beyond doing that. But I wanna suggest tonight that uh, the role of a deacon is far more important and far more strategic than just uh, serving food to hungry widows. Look with me in verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, well it was increasing, look back in chapter 4 verse 4, Acts chapter 4 verse 4, but many who heard the message believed, now watch this, and the number of men grew to about 5,000, 3,000 were converted and baptized on The Day of Pentecost, Chapter Two, Acts, and now we get over to Chapter Four, Verse Four, and the number of men is about five thousand. Now, sometimes we use that term uh, "man" in a generic way to include male and female. So I called Dr. Rob Plummer, who is professor of New Testament at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I asked him about that, and he said the word translated for "men" here in Chapter Four, Verse Four, is the word which means males. So I asked him, in light of that, Dr. Plummer, how many members do you think the church had if they had 5,000 men? He says, well, they probably had between 12,000 and 15,000 members in the church in Jerusalem by this time. So this is a very large church. Now let's go back to chapter 6. Look at it again, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews, that is, uh, the widows... Uh, who spoke uh, Greek. They were the Hellenistic Jews. Uh, they were racially Jews but they had been dispersed across the Roman Empire and they would probably come back for, for Pentecost and they had been converted and they stayed and they, they began to complain against the Hebraic Jews, that is the, uh, the local uh, widows who uh, spoke Aramaic because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of the food. And so we have uh, a dispute among widows in the church in Jerusalem. They were murmuring and complaining. And may I say to you that uh, murmuring and complaining will destroy the witness of the church. So, there's a problem here. Now, verse 2, we move into the solution. So, the 12, this is the apostles. Uh, they gathered all the disciples together. I don't know where they gather, gathered all these twelve to 15,000 people, but that's what the Word says. They gathered all these people together, and they said to them, it would not be right for us, that is, for the 12 apostles... To neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. I'm going to come back to this, but just say at this point, they had their priorities right. Verse 3, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. That is, the apostles will turn the responsibility of caring for the hungry widows over to these these men, these seven men, so that we can give our full attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The implication is that the apostles who had been primarily called to pray and teach God's word were being diverted into caring for the widows. And they say it's not right for us to neglect the word The ministry of the word and prayer. John Stott in his masterful commentary on Acts proposes that Acts chapter 6 showcases a last gasp ploy by Satan to neutralize the advance of the church. His first two attempts were one was direct persecution we read about it in Acts chapter 4 where Peter and John were arrested and thrown in jail overnight. That didn't work. Then in chapter 5, we read about moral corruption in the church where Ananias and Sapphira lied to the apostles about the gift they said they gave, which they did not give. They had utterly failed to destroy the church. Stock says, and I now quote, "...the devil's next attack was the cleverest of the three." Having failed to overcome the church by either persecution or corruption, he now tried distraction. If he could preoccupy the apostles with social administration, which though essential was not their calling, they would neglect their God-given responsibility to pray and to preach. Now watch this. And so leave the church without any defense against false doctrine. Satan is a crafty foe, but he's no match for a spirit filled church. So we see in verse 7 that uh, the apostle said to the congregation, This large church, Jerusalem church, choose seven men, qualified men, in this case, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And they said, uh, We're going to turn the ministry of taking care of the widows over to these seven men. Now, verse 4 says, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And verse 5 says, this proposal pleased the whole group. The whole church was pleased with this proposed solution, and so they chose these seven men that you see here, named for us here. Uh, The interesting thing about this is, all of these men... These are Greek names. So the the community in the Jerusalem church that was complaining were the Greek-speaking widows, and the church chose Greeks, almost surely Greek-speaking men, uh, as the the people in the church who would address this this need. And so they, verse six, they laid their hands on them. They presented them to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now I want to propose again tonight what you've heard me propose uh, in the past. Uh, I don't believe these men were the ones, these seven men were the ones who fed the widows. Do the math. If you have 12,000 to 15,000 members If 10% of your congregation are widows, that's that's 1,200 to 1,500 widows. If it's just 5%, have it to 600 to 750. I don't know any seven men that can take care of 600 to 750 widows if it's just 5%. Even if they're full time doing that, which they probably were not. So I'm proposing that these seven men did not personally serve all of these widows, but they made sure that it got done. We don't know how they saw that it got done, but they organized, they administrated, they did something that's not told us in the text so that these widows who were being neglected in the distribution of the food were receiving their food allowance. So that makes them not just table waiters. I want to lift up the office of deacon and make it far more than a table waiter. Now, I'm not opposed to table waiting. Thank God for those of you who serve in our kitchen. But this is not the calling of the deacons. I'm not proposing it for the first time tonight, but I'm just reminding you that I'm persuaded that that the primary calling of a deacon is What do you see on the screen? To guard the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So deacons, I believe, are problem solvers, conflict resolvers, unity keepers. They are like shock absorbers. And they are the the first line uh, of defense and, and solution when people in a church begin to murmur and complain. And you can be sure that the devil will see that every church has murmurers and complainers until Jesus comes at the end of the age. You may have a season of peace where it doesn't happen, but it won't last long. And so deacons are out there to receive the complaints and to deal with them. So that the pastors, in this case the apostles, the 21st century equivalent of an apostle would be a pastor today. They're there to solve these problems. So every year in January, we, we rotate four deacons off. We rotate four on. And uh, some have been on for decades, and some are on for the first term. In fact, we have five first-termers right now. That's the most first-termers we've had in my 42 years, five out of 12 1st and uh, I just remind them that as a deacon, you're going to be the, you're the hands and ears. People are not going to come to me and complain, going to come to you and complain about me or somebody else on staff or something's going on in the church. And you have in each hand a bucket and in one hand is a bucket of water and the other hand is a bucket of gasoline. And when somebody comes to you with a complaint, you can respond in one of two ways. You can pour a gasoline on that complaint and fill that fire and spread it or you can pour water on that fire and put it out. And you know what you've been called to do. Now, deacons are neither rebels No rubber stamps. I hadn't heard it in a long time, but it always grieved me when somebody would say, Well, the deacons, they're just in Brother Al's back pocket. They just rubber stamp everything he wants to do. Well, apparently, you haven't been to all the deacons' meetings. But I want to tell you, they're godly men. And all of our deacon recommendations to the church are unanimous. Every one of them. Nothing ever comes to the church for a decision at a business meeting without it being a unanimous recommendation of the deacons. We, 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 don't, we don't bring divided decisions. Sometimes it takes us more than one meeting to come to, uh, to unanimity. And if we can't come to unanimity, it never comes to the, to the floor of the business meeting. I have friends... Or the churches who think that's strange. I want to tell you the Holy Spirit is not double-minded. Either the Holy Spirit is for proposal A or he's against it but he's not both for it and against it at the same time. So if ten deacons are for something and two are against or two are for it and ten are against somebody missed the Spirit of the Lord. So instead of just rushing forward and pushing it through, let's just put, put it on pause and wait a month or two months or sometimes we waited six months to move forward. I personally believe that there will never be a, 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 a split in this church as long as the pastors and the deacons can stay together. In my 42 years as pastor, we have never once had a recommendation come to the church in business meeting where the deacons voted down, not one time. Because the people know they're godly men and the recommendation is unanimous. So you ought to pray earnestly for your pastors and deacons in the work to which God has called us. The deacon serves the church by guarding the unity of the spirit. That's his calling. It may mean saying that widows are are nourished. It may mean a multitude of things. But that's the primary call right there. The second action I want you to see in Acts chapter 6 is this. The deacon serves the church by guarding the pastor's time in prayer and the word of God. Let me repeat that so you get it. The deacon serves the church by guarding the pastor's time in prayer and in the word of God. Look again in uh, verses two, two, three, and four. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. It's not that table waiting is unimportant. Or does it need to be done? But that's not the call that God had upon those apostles. Nor is that the call that God has upon pastors. Verse 3. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Verse 4. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now watch this. If we fail here... We fail. If the pastor fails to give his primary attention to to ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word, the pastor fails. Period. Exclamation point. Just over 42 years ago, the pastor search committee of Lakeview Baptist Church came to have their first interview with Kim and me in the den of the parsonage of the Carolina Baptist Church. We sat down, introduced ourselves, and I said, I want you to know that I'm, I will answer any and every question you have as honestly and as candidly as I can. I have nothing to hide. I said, before we begin the interview, I want you to know that I do believe that God will bring me to Auburn someday. But you need to know that I'm aware that the Lakeview Baptist Church is in a university community, but if you're looking for a pastor who's gonna stand in the pulpit and try to hold his own with the scientists and the philosophers and the educators, I'm the wrong man. You need to go look somewhere else. Little did I know that every member of that search committee was either a professor, an administrator, or a staff member of Auburn University. (laughs) Had no idea. But I said to them, if you're looking for a pastor who will come to the pulpit Sunday after Sunday with a fresh word from God, then let's talk. I made that promise 42 years ago. I have kept that promise. I have never entered this pulpit to my memory that I was unprepared, ever. Now, I, I always wish I had another day, another hour to make it better. But when I stand in this pulpit, I have, I have been in the Word. I've been in prayer, seeking the mind of God to feed you from the Word of God. There are preachers more intelligent, more articulate, more erudite than I, but I'm telling you, nobody can preach a better gospel. And we can preach it better than I, but they can't preach a better gospel. And you have honored me by allowing me to give the, the, the majority of my energy across these 42 years to the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word. And I'm saying to you tonight, continue. You want to do Brian Payne a, a favor. Not only do you pray for Brian and his family, you let him be isolated as much as he needs to be isolated in the study and in the prayer closet seeking the mind of God to stand in this pulpit Sunday after Sunday for the decades to come teaching you the holy word of the living God. And the deacon serves the church by guarding the pastor's time and deacons you you right heard on Brian Payne that he gets too busy doing the tyranny of the urgent because everybody's just nibbling at him, nibbling. Uh, pastor Brian, can I have five minutes? And it usually turns into 35. Let your pastor spend time with God. And deacons, you make sure that it happens. I'm not worried about him. I'll tell you that. So there's a lot more i could say but i almost thought right here i want to just i want to just talk to you in, in closing about church polity here's here's the way i see the new testament jesus christ is lord he's head of the church church is led by the pastor guarded by the deacons and affirmed by the congregation that's god's method God's work done by, in God's way will always have God's blessing. Just like we read here in chapter 6, verse 7, So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Amen.